Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coming up on Chopper's Politics Podcast. You've tweeted this morning that it's time to bring back Boris. Will he definitely stand? Because some are saying to me that he's just testing the water. I think it's pretty clear what he's planning to do. If you look at the amount of support that he's got, if he has tested the water, the water seems to be at a very acceptable temperature. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, The Telegraph's Associate Editor for Politics, and welcome to Chopper's Politics. Now, listeners, it's been a busy week in politics, and it's caused some chaos with the usual recording schedule for Chopper's Politics podcast. I had recorded brilliant interviews, and then, of course, this happened. I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. Yep, that's Liz Truss resigning as Prime Minister after 44 days in 10 Downing Street. And with her premiership disappearing in flames, so was my podcast. So I'm back. It's Friday and I've recorded a new one with some brilliant guests. Later on, we'll be hearing from Jacob Rees-Mogg in his first interview since declaring for Boris Johnson to replace Liz Truss as Prime Minister. But first up, I thought I'd interrogate the experts I work with in the office at The Telegraph to find out what they think is going on. I asked Dominic Penner, our political reporter, Tony Diver our Whitehall correspondent, and Ben Riley-Smith to join me in the studio here at Telegraph Towers. With me now is Dominic Penner, our political reporter. Dom's great with spreadsheets and numbers. Now, Dominic Penner, let's start with Liz Truss. Mm. She is the shortest-serving Prime Minister in British political history. That's right? Quite. What will her term be by the time she stands down? So, assuming that there is a vote among the members and this drags on to this Friday coming, i.e. October the 28th, Liz Truss's time in office will total 52 days. That is actually shorter than the 54-day leadership contest by which she was chosen. <laughs> she's, absolutely, she's failed to even beat the time it took to elect to Alexa. That's unbelievable. And there's other, there's other examples of, of short terms in office, aren't mm. there? So Nadim Zahawi, who stepped up as Boris Johnson's chancellor when Rishi Sunak quit, joked that that was his summer job at 63 days, but that's still longer than Truss's time in office, as was Sam Allardyce, the shortest ever England manager. Just 67 days, his his time in office also ended in scandal. But again, that was longer than Truss was in Downing Street. Gosh. And looking forward into the three candidates to be Tory leader, who we think will be be there or thereabouts Mm. by the weekend, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt. How are they doing in broad terms? So as of today, and this is a constantly moving feast, but Rishi Sunak now has more than 50 backers, Boris Johnson more than 40, and Penny Mordaunt just over a dozen. So it is already shaping up among Tory MPs who have publicly endorsed their preferred Prime Minister. 
it does look like Rishi versus Boris, which will be box office. Goodness me. Well, that's if it goes, if, they, if uh, Boris and Rishi get more than 100 votes by 2pm mm. on Monday, no guarantee of that. It's like, although it's likely that, that Sunak gets them, not clear whether uh, Mordaunt or Johnson get them. And that could be extraordinary, couldn't it? I mean, it will mm. be, a, it'll pitch the two together, given the, the uh, way that Rishi Sunak brought down Boris Johnson by resigning so quickly back in the summer. Exactly. And this does <laughs> speak to a deep, ideological difference in terms of the MPs who are rallying behind Boris Johnson, lots of 2019 intake MPs who, to be honest, owe Boris Johnson their seats because of the size of the majority he won in the 2019 general election. They looked his election winning appeal, whereas Rishi Sunak, a lot of his backers are One Nation or moderate Tories or chairs of Commons committees. They are looking for stability And, for example, John Glenn, who is backing him, worked with Sunak at the Treasury. They think Liz Truss has trashed the Tories' reputation for economic competence. They are looking for a safe pair of hands. The MPs backing Boris are looking for an election winner. Dominic Penner there. Now, with me now are two of my colleagues from the lobby office in the House of Commons, Tony Diver, our Whitehall correspondent, and Ben Riley-Smith, the political editor. Now, we last met in this very room in the studio at Telegraph Towers on Monday to discuss Liz Truss's future. Let's hear what we had to say. Finally, Tony Diver, an easy one to you. On what date will Liz Truss quit as PM? Oh, my God. Uh, Well, it's going to be before the end of this month, I think. Let's say the... 21st of October. Four ben, days. Ben Riley Smith. <laughs> well, surprise, Tony's born for that. I never make predictions because they're always wrong. What was this thing? Oh, my cop out will be that I haven't yet to find a Tory MP who thinks she will take them into the next election. For what it's worth, I think the 5th of May 2023, the day after the local election campaign next summer. Right, listeners, let's pause there while I, I try and recover my composure after my appalling prediction. <laughs> Ben Riley Smith said the next election, by the way, he's worse than me. We're going to call it out now. I think you'll find I'm still correct. I still can't find the Tory MP, believe she'll leave him into the next election. <laughs> but with me now, I'm sitting next to Mystic Diver. No, no one knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Mystic Meg forecast the numbers during the lottery in the 80s, Tony, before you were born. Tony Diver, how did you know that Liz Truss would barely last a week? Well, I'm very embarrassed, actually, Chris, because I was 24 hours out. Normally, I'm much more accurate than that. God, you let me sit. <laughs> But it's been it was, extraordinary. It was, I mean, it was an accelerated ending. I mean, no one saw... And to be fair to me and Ben, let's be fair to me and Ben, I'm hosting this show after all. I mean, no one saw Sweller Braveman resigning over a Gmail, did they? No, absolutely not. I mean, if we try and remember where we were on Monday, the, you know, the reason why we knew that Liz Truss was in trouble was because she'd just finally axed a load more of those measures from the mini-budget. The mini-budget was essentially dead. and the yes. feeling oh, was That was her... Monday morning with Jeremy Hunt and that announcement from the Treasury. Exactly. So her, the feeling was that her political project was basically dead. Now, what hadn't yet died was her power within the party, her authority over MPs. And that really came on Wednesday when we had Prime Minister's questions, which was pretty damaging for her, followed by the resignation of her or the sacking of her Home Secretary. And then this disastrous sort of almost farcical late night row in the Commons over whether or not MPs were going to back this Labour motion on fracking. And so it was that her authority among MPs ultimately destroyed her in the end. And this sort of figure of Graham Brady found himself lurking up, up yes. Downing Street and sidling into number 10. Yes, the more, the more he up. meets you, the more in trouble you are, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he met at least two or three times this week. Of course, Graham Brady never comments on his diary or letters he gets. He's, I mean, I can tell listeners and Ben will and Tony agree, he tells no one what he's up to. But Absolutely. If you see him. But for you, uh, Ben Riley-Smith, what was the moment when Liz Truss stopped being Prime Minister? 
Well, it was that Wednesday night, which was just total farce. I mean, listeners, I'm sure, would have read our coverage. There was this big vote in the House of Commons. Labour wanted to take control of the order paper and holder, vote on fracking. All the government was asking Tory MPs to do was not to allow the opposition to control business in the Commons, and they still totally mucked it up. They told everybody it's a confidence vote. If you vote with Labour, you're effectively voting against the government. Very provocative thing to do. And then suddenly they realised the scale of the rebellion. A minister stood in and House of Commons said, oh, no, don't worry, it's not actually a vote of confidence. There was total chaos in the whip's office, in the voting lobbies. This group of cabinet ministers and wavering MPs, a claim from a Labour MP that some cabinet ministers manhandled people through the voting lobbies to back the government. It was utterly chaotic. Chief Whip supposedly resigned. Deputy Chief Whip supposedly resigned. Then late night, they reversed their positions. At 1.30am, journalists got a text saying, oh, don't worry, the Chief Whip and Deputy Chief Whip are still on board. I mean, that was when her authority was just totally shot. And from what we can hear from Number 10 inside us that morning, she knew it was done. And the original sin, Tony Diver, was that a mini-budget in September, September the 23rd. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Tory MPs have got to believe, regardless of what you think about those measures, those tax measures, Tory MPs have got to believe that the government has got a plan which it can deliver, which the country supports, and which Conservative MPs and their members back in constituencies, you know, believe is plausible. And the fact that she had to U-turn on everything she'd announced since she became Prime Minister, regardless of whether or not you think those things were a good idea, just shows you the, the, the lack of authority she had. And, and the whole thing about being Prime Minister is it's a balancing game, right? You've got MPs, you've got government departments, you've got other cabinet ministers, and you've got the MPs in your party. And the whips are the thing that tie you to those MPs and allow you to keep discipline in the House of Commons. And that's what she lost. Was the mistake here, Ben Riley-Smith, to think that Britain was exceptional in the sense that the global economies are taking a battering on the markets. The cost of living crisis is a global issue. Inflation is a problem globally. Energy crisis is a problem globally. Other countries are sheltering from that. But we chose, as I've written on Twitter before, to strip off our clothes, run out naked into the storm. We got zapped by lightning. I think critics would say the mistake was to misjudge how quickly you could cut tax and take on a lot of borrowing in this precarious economic situation where inflation is running away from you, interest rates are ticking up, and the markets and the country is looking for stability. So Liz Truss said, listen, I've always believed in tax cuts. There is stuttering growth. The best way to fix that is to cut tax. But that plus the energy freeze meant they were borrowing 100, 200 billion pounds on the energy freeze. They didn't even have a figure. It was a blank check signed. And that spooked the markets. And that essentially triggered this collapse that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Tony Diver, how do you think we'll remember Liz Truss, the shortest serving prime minister in political history, 44 days? Is there any redeeming feature at all of her time in office? I think we're more likely to remember Liz Truss for the work that she did as Foreign Secretary, actually. Obviously, the Ukraine crisis has been one of the biggest things that the government's dealt with over the last year. She, as Foreign Secretary, was heavily involved in what was going on there. She was also heavily involved in the Northern Ireland Protocol bill and trying to resolve tensions in Northern Ireland over that. So I think that actually is the more substantive work that she's done in the government. Of course, she's been a cabinet minister for, for a decade. But I mean, that is the thing probably we'll remember her for. Probably, I mean, apart from the <laughs> the U-turns and ultimately the failed policy direction that she took. And Ben Ryan-Smith, you, you met her, you interviewed her several times. What do you make of it? How will she be taking this personally? 
And how will we remember her too? Well, we were talking to number 10 insiders yesterday and actually what was surprising in some of our conversations is that there was actually relief at the end because she'd been through the political week of hell. She had to sack her chancellor, her friend who was absolutely lockstep with her own ideology. She had to see a former leadership rival tear up her economic agenda. And then she had to be proved on the House of Commons that she had zero authority among Tory MPs. I mean, that was a horrible week for any prime minister. So I think Anyone. Anyone. And I think she, uh, there, people told us inside there was a degree of relief when she actually said, okay, this is just, it, it, it's got to stop. And, and she gathered a team around the coffin-shaped cabinet table 30 minutes before she went out to number 10, about 30 people, and said, it's up, I'm going to have to go. And we were talked to one person there who said they were pretty emotional. When I've interviewed her, she's a decent, well-meaning politician like so many are, actually. Despite, well, they are. Um, they are, actually. For the most part, they're trying to do good. They have beliefs about the best way to take policies. So I think there will be sadness in Downing Street at the way it's ended for her. Okay, looking forward, and politics moves on so quickly. I mean, by the end of the extraordinary day yesterday, us three were were in the lobby office writing a lot about Boris Johnson again, weren't we, Tony Diver? Yeah, well, he was, it, would, it was only really featured in the paper over the last few weeks as we're trying to sort of guess what his plans are next. Is he going to write books? Is he going to do speeches? Well, now he's flying like, back from the Caribbean. It looks like now, yeah, he's flying back from the Caribbean. It looks and like he, he it sounds like he's going to stand for leadership. I mean, unbelievably, it will be the biggest comeback, well, of all time in politics I can think of. Yeah, well, it's almost like he never really left, I imagine, is what it will feel like, apart from the fact that, you know, the, the markets are in a much worse situation than they were when, when he left. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's always said that there is a political project that he wanted to achieve, that he people around him say that they levelling up wasn't, he didn't get the chance to fully do it. And that will be the pitch he now makes to MPs. Let me carry on where I started. I mean, Ben Riley-Smith, his last words in the House of Commons were, hasta la vista baby, that line from Terminator films when Arnold Schwarzenegger came back with a, with a few bit of weaponry to take out the enemies. Absolutely. He hinted, I'll be back. And he is indeed back, it appears. I mean, I think one of the challenges is whether if we're talking in six months' time, whether it came too soon. It's been 44 days since he left office. Some of his supporters are saying if this had happened next spring, next autumn, there'd been a period when he'd been away. But, I mean, it really is so fresh, some of those wounds of the party forcing him out, and that's what we're going to see over the next couple of days, if that's true or not. There's big issues with the party investigation. That hangs over him. I mean, if this investigation by the Privileges Committee finds him guilty, if he's banned from the House of Commons for 10 days, that will trigger an automatic by-election in Boris Johnson's future. That's more uncertainty. It, yes, well, How it, will, can it, deal will, with that? it will mean that there can be a recall petition in his constituency, which has to be signed by enough people in, in the constituency in order to trigger be. a by-election. But, but in his constituency in Uxbridge, it almost certainly will be signed by enough people because it's actually starting to look pretty much. So that's more uncertainty. So, so, well, yeah, I mean, we could be in a position where we lose two prime ministers, one of them twice in the space of a year. There is an option, Ben Riley-Smith, of re-voting on that decision because you're extraordinary plotting and you've heard Ben Riley-Smith that Boris Johnson might do a deal with Rishi Sunak or some overtures between the two politicians. Yeah, our today's paper carries this fascinating quote from a Boris Johnson ally which says, quote, Rishi Sunak should make contact and work out how the two of them can get back together. I mean, can you imagine that? These were the two people at the top of government who had this spectacular fallout. Rishi Sunak stormed out, said I can't serve Bringing you Boris down. Triggering the ministerial stampede that brought Boris down. <laughs> and then throughout that campaign, Boris Johnson's supporters, Nadine Dorries, Jacob Rees-Mogg's endlessly said, you were the one who stabbed Boris in the back. How on earth could we vote for you? I mean, surely those two can't get back together. Two predictions quickly. Will this contest go to the membership? Tony Diver. Well, yes. I mean, if Boris gets over 100, I say... But will it go? It will 
It will go, yes. I think, I, I certainly think, think, I certainly think that there will be a moderate candidate, probably Rishi Sunak, who gets it as well. I always dodge predictions, as I proved oh, yeah, on Monday. Sake. But I, w- I would not underestimate the possibility that we will be in a situation where there's only one candidate standing on Monday. If Rishi somehow convinces Penny to come on board as Foreign Secretary, as Deputy Prime Minister, and it's that whole wing against Boris Johnson saying, listen, we've got our total support. And then the one other thing to say is, whoever, if there are two candidates above 100 MPs, there will be a vote of all MPs we think, about which of those two people wants it. So let's say it's Boris and Rishi. And if Rishi got 100 of the 160 MPs, would it then go to the membership or would Boris Johnson then say, I'm not going to go? I don't know, but it's possible MPs on that final indicative vote, it's so conclusive that they then don't go to the members. But the prize is power. The prize is power. And who, who, Penny or Rishi or Boris, would turn down the roll of the dice with the members if they could? Who's going to win? Boris Johnson... Rishi Sunak or Penny Mordaunt? Well, if, if, one it go, name. if it goes to the members, I've been talking to people on the ground this morning in the in the back Boris group who say that it's like nothing they've ever seen in their time in the voluntary party. The, what I was told this morning, the enthusiasm for Boris Johnson's return across the country is enormous. Now, obviously, there's a bit of spin involved there, but this isn't coming from, you know, an MP who's who's backing him. This is coming from, you know, someone out on the ground who's speaking to activists. If it goes to the members, I can't see how Boris Johnson loses. Ben Wiley-Smith, you must say a name. I'm not going to say a name because my job is to keep open channels with all of these campaigns and get them to do things with the Telegraph. But Chris, what's your name? I think Boris gets it. Thank you both. Ben Riley-Smith, Tony Diver, thank you. Now, coming up after the break, the first interview with Jacob Rees-Mogg since he declared for Boris Johnson. Right after this... Right now, the whole world is watching China. It's the 20th Party Congress, a a twice-in-a-decade political set-piece that reveals the outcome of China's very secretive leadership selection. And there is, of course, only one man in the running. Xi Jinping. This is seismic. After the death of Chairman Mao Zedong, there has been a two-term limit on Chinese leaders. No more. She is on the cusp of effectively becoming ruler for life. Understanding him has never been more important. They turned this place into a hell. We're in Beijing. We, we see business people got disappear by this day all the time. I mean, everything is protected and you're under constant watch. But reporting on Xi? Well, that might be my toughest assignment yet. We've come into a bathroom now to try to... Upload all these files in case on my way out, I get stopped and searched and they try to delete these. Despite 10 years in power, he remains a puzzle. One we know very little about beyond official propaganda. Who is he, really? How has he managed to build a cult of personality? What kind of a leader has this made him? And what does that mean for all of us? China under Xi doesn't like these sorts of questions. Don't touch me! But I'm going to try and ask them anyway. I'm Sophia Yan, and this is How to Become a Dictator. Coming soon from The Telegraph. Now, Jackie Rees Mogg was saying in the summer how it was a mistake to get rid of Boris Johnson. And so, not surprisingly, he's the first cabinet minister to come out in favour of anyone to replace Liz Truss. 
And yep, he backs the Bring Back Boris campaign, BBB. Jacob Rees-Mogg, welcome to Chopper's Politics. You've tweeted this morning, Friday, saying that it's time to back Boris or bring back Boris, BBB. Why? Uh, The Tory party has to unite, that we have been too divided. And it's striking that when Boris Johnson took over in 2019, we had been 30% behind in the polls. Uh, Shortly after he leaves, we're back to being 30% behind in the polls. I think he is the only realistic prospect who can unite the party and has a well-shown election-winning record. People are angry with him, aren't they? They're angry with him in the country, over Partygate, and they're also angry in the parliamentary party. What's your message to them? My message is that Boris Johnson has a mandate. A lot of people are now clamouring for a new general election because they say the person who won the election is no longer in charge. Boris Johnson won that mandate. He won it from the British people. He won it for five years. I think it would be only right to bring back the person who has a mandate and govern well for the next two years. That is the challenge for the Conservative Party. But your point is that another rival who might win this 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 crown wouldn't have a mandate, and Johnson does. Boris Johnson clearly has a mandate. Now, constitutionally, um, a new Prime Minister would not be forced to have a general election, but the Labour Party is already demanding one. Well, of course they demand one, I mean, and they should do, because they're meant to want to be in power. But the point is, the government doesn't have to give them one, do they, until January 2025? And, that, and the point is, how does the party use the next two years? Is that right? That, that's right. It's important to use the next two years. There are enormous global economic pressures at the moment. You will have noticed that the yen is at a 32 low against the dollar, that it's not something that is affecting the UK Interest rates in the US have risen further and faster than in the UK. The US is entering into recession. There are serious global headwinds economically, and we need a period of stable government to face those headwinds. Will he get the necessary backing of 100 Conservative MPs to get onto the ticket in the first place? Well, look, I am very pleasantly surprised by how quickly he's got to half that number. And I've spoken to a number of fellow MPs And the enthusiasm with which they have responded has, again, been pleasantly surprising. You said half at that number. Then the number's over 50 at the moment. That's right. The number was over 50 by um, last night. So to to get from a standing start to um, 50 within a few hours, I think, is very good. And it gave him a strong momentum against um, any other candidate. Some of your colleagues have told me they will resign their whip in the party. I've heard of one individual who will quit and join Labour. Is that the price for Johnson coming back? Well, I think the time has come for Conservative MPs to pull themselves together and support the leader. I will support whoever wins this leadership contest, loyally and faithfully, because if the Tory party carries on as it is, as a factional grouping, or a series of factional groupings, we will not win any elections. So... Though I am strongly pro-Boris, I think he would be the best and right leader. Whoever gets it will have my uh, loyal support. If Johnson doesn't get it, then the Johnson problem, the prince over the water, the what-if issue surrounding Johnson doesn't go away, does it? People like me will support whoever is the leader of the Conservative Party. Are you sad about Liz Truss, Jacob Rees-Mogg? Yes, of course I am. Um, I I like Liz. I think she um, tried very hard to implement a series of policies that are attractive policies in themselves, but the global economic circumstances made that very difficult. Are you surprised about the sudden ending? 
Um, not in not in the end that um, the the confusion on Wednesday evening was extremely difficult to get through. I don't think there's any point in going over the um, auspices of what happened when and reading the entrails. We are where we are. Liz is an admirable person who has had the courage to resign when it became impossible to carry on and has arranged for a swift leadership election to maintain stability within the country. I think she has done a valiant job in very difficult circumstances. Where is Boris Johnson, Jackie Rees-Mogg? Um, where is he? Yeah. Well, he was abroad, um, and I don't know where he is um, specifically now. I, I can't give you what... what We're talking on uh, Friday morning. Is he back in the UK I, I, yet? I can't give you the, the three-word uh, <laughs> uh, designation of where he happens to be precisely at the moment. What do you, what's your advice to him if, you, if, you on, if he's on this call? If, if I'm Boris Johnson, what do you say to him? Because there are issues with the way he runs a government. It's chaotic. There's a lack of discipline, him personally, and then to an extent around his team. What's he got to do to win back the authority he needs to be prime minister? Well, I quite like the idea of you being Boris Johnson. The, the Daily Telegraph always needs a Boris Johnson, and you have taken over that position for these purposes. Um, I I think the need for clear discipline in Downing Street is very apparent. There were some very good people in the Boris team, uh, people like David Canzini and Simone Finn, that they were strong characters delivering for the Prime Minister. This group had only really got together quite shortly before he left the full contingent. And I think that degree of focus was was very helpful. And that is that is needed, that, that all parties need an element of discipline. But it also needs Conservative MPs to recognise uh, that ultimately we have to support our leader. We cannot keep on changing leader in this way. Isn't there one word he must say? Sorry. Sorry to MPs. Sorry to party members sorry to the country, before he can get back and wipe the slate clean? Well, he, he, he said that. Um, he, he did say sorry for some of the mistakes that were made during lockdown. So that, that apology has been made. But wouldn't it help to do it again? Because some MPs I speak to are still cross, and these MPs can cause a problem for his premiership. If, if your government can't get policies through Parliament then the, the links with MPs become an issue. I mean, the problem I've always thought with Johnson is he's quite a loner and he lacks that kind of soft, that soft relationships that you need in Parliament to make things work. I think that's overstated. Uh, I mean, I think he is somebody that people um, always find it a pleasure to be in the company of. I think that's true of the vast majority of Tory MPs. He is a very engaging individual and he's interested in people. So I wouldn't overstate that problem. And I'm a bit worried that you're expecting him to do what Henry II did after the murder of um, Thomas Beckett and walk through the streets of Canterbury being uh, uh, chastised by the monks of Canterbury. I, I'm not sure this is what the British public are expecting. I mean, what are the British public expecting? Do, do, do you worry when people laugh at your party, at laugh at Liz Truss? I, I, I think what the British people were always expecting was that the leader they put in 2019 would remain the leader. And I think it was a mistake to have got rid of him in the first place. I said that at the time. So there's no real change in my view. I thought that removing a leader who had managed to win a majority of 80 
but was always an error. Do you remember Dallas from the 80s, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg? Were you a fan of that, the, the soap opera? Do you know, I loved Dallas. I was absolutely obsessed by it. Do you remember yes. when Bobby, Bobby Ewing woke up in, in the shower and the last entire series had been a dream? Had been a dream, it, yes. Do you think the Tories need to channel Bobby Ewing at the moment? I wouldn't put it quite that way, no. I, I think one must draw a line between fact and fiction. <laughs> do, you, do you think that um, what really needs to happen to avoid any more market uncertainty, because we, well, there could be issues next week with the, with the interregnum before Friday if it goes to two, two or three, two candidates to the membership, that some sort of deal must be done over the weekend between Richie Sunak and Boris Johnson? I, I think that the timescale is sufficiently rapid for this not to be a market-sensitive issue. But should there be a deal between Rishi Sunak and, and Boris Johnson? Um, I'm always in favour of the members deciding the leadership. I, I think it's the right place for it to go. And I, I think the 1922 committee, the board of the Tory party, have done really well to get it to a position where that can be done swiftly. So that's a no? It, it, I'm saying that I'm in favour of it going to the membership. I'm not making predictions, but I don't think your argument that it's necessary for financial stability is a correct one. I mean, the chancellor is in office um as of course as the prime minister but the chancellor is there is doing the things that chancellors need to do and th- this is salvageable isn't it i remember in september last year the times wrote a front page story saying that johnson planned to be prime minister for 10 years and it all went wrong very quickly didn't it with a series of missteps over owen patterson uh, the chris pincher affair party gate and the rest it just shows how fast politics is moving right now doesn't it well if, if you think in may 2019 we had our worst result in the electoral history of the Conservative Party. And in December 2019, we won a majority of 80. So things can change quickly. Um, and that is what we must work towards. Did you ever imagine that you'd see Boris Johnson coming back so quickly when you said it was a mistake to get rid of him in the summer? No, 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 no. I mean, I said that I thought that it would be very unlikely, if not impossible, that Boris could do what nobody had done since Gladstone and come back as leader of a party and get back as prime minister in that way. Whereas, although it has happened, I can't think since Gladstone it's happened uh, with somebody being removed from the leadership of the party, coming back as leader of the party and then becoming prime minister. Harold Wilson obviously remained leader of the Labour Party uh, between elections. Will he definitely stand? Because some are saying to me that he's just testing the water that he's using reporting by journalists, possibly some MPs are doing tweets, maybe yourself, to try and see what the numbers are like, but then he might, might not do it. He might let everyone down like he has done in the past. Um, if you look at the amount of support that he's got, if he has tested the water, which I'm not sure what he, that's what he's doing anyway, I think it's pretty clear what he's planning to do, uh, that the, the water seems to be at a very acceptable temperature. <laughs> are we going to see a chastened Johnson? What Boris will we see when he arrives back in the UK, I think, on Saturday? Boris said himself that you couldn't expect him to have a personality transplant. Boris Johnson's attraction is that he is a big, charismatic political figure who is able to get things done and who is able to connect with voters in a way that um, no other politician of this era can. Is he the only way the Tories can win the next election, or can they win the election under Penny Mordaunt or Rishi Sunak? I'm not going to say anything critical of any other candidates. No, I'm not asking you to be critical, I'm asking you no, to I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm not going to make implicit criticisms of them either, but I certainly think that Boris Johnson provides the best chance 
uh, of, a, of a road to recovery from the Conservative Party. What's all this mean if, if you believe, like I do, in some way that the markets are running this country at the moment in terms of politicians are, are rightly concerned about spooking them after the impact of the, of the 23rd of September budget? What does this mean for fiscal policy? Do you think that the candidate should stick with what Jeremy Hunt has announced already? Well, I've always been in favour of a fiscal policy that keeps expenditure under control. That is what Conservatives ought to do. And Jeremy Hunt is advocating that. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I've been asked to find savings uh, in the business energy industrial strategy department. That is not an impossible task. Uh, but all of the all the reversals on the income tax cut that Rishi Sunak wanted in April 2024, all of Kwasi Kwarteng's measures have gone, which weren't already being enacted in some way. Do you advise or do you think then that the, the, the Halloween budget, whatever it is, the Halloween statement should be delayed once the new PM is elected? That, that's, that must be a decision for, for a new prime minister. Just finally, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, what, what do you think the public should think of the Tories at the moment? Everyone, everyone's always asking me, they're saying, get them to pull their act together. I think those are the right words. We, we've got to support a leader, whoever that leader is. We've got to be serious about governing and we've got to get on with what the electorate asked us to do in 2019. This is fundamental. We've got to stop worrying more about the internal politics of the Tory party uh, than we do about government. Do you think your colleagues should delete Twitter for a period? Um, I think they shouldn't take Twitter too seriously. But, uh, you said, are we governed by the markets? It would be far worse to be governed by Twitter, uh, which is not, to my mind, a serious representation of public opinion. If it were, Jeremy Corbyn would have become prime minister in 2019. And I would discourage people from being too strongly influenced uh, by Twitter. They should be influenced by the Daily Telegraph instead. <laughs> What's your message, just finally, to people who, t- who say, uh, Tories who say, that the party needs a period in opposition, that it's just tired, worn out and spent? Well, I think that's a mistake. I don't think we're tired. I don't think we're worn out. I don't think we're spent. I think we have been too divided. Um, I think those people should remember what it was like between 1997 and 2010. Uh, opposition means you can fire pot shots at the government, but you can't actually get anything done. There is no satisfaction in opposition. Well, Jacob Smog, thank you for joining us this week on uh, an extraordinary edition, an unexpected one of Chopper's Politics Podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to come on. Thank you. Thank you to my guest this week, Jacob Rees-Mogg MP and the Telegraph's very own Dominic Penner, Ben Riley-Smith and Tony Diver. Thank you to my brilliant producer, Louisa Wells. But most importantly of all, thank you to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps other people find this show. I'd be fascinated to hear what you think about what our guests had to say. Please email me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or tweet me at chopperspodcast. And with Westminster News changing daily, nay, every hour, why not sign up to my daily Chopper's Politics newsletter to keep on top of what the hell is going on in the mad world of British politics. You'll find a link to how to sign up in the show notes to this episode. And please do read my weekly Peterborough Diary Gossip column out every Friday at 7pm and in Saturday's edition of The Daily Telegraph. And as ever, remember, please do buy a copy of The Daily Telegraph, particularly this weekend. It's going to be a big one. Until next time, cheerio!